Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me today is Will. I got the knowing of a lot of things. Two men into one man leave. Two men into one man leave. Terrible Australian accents. One man leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we are covering, uh, as part of our uh, part three series, uh, I had left this off, but unfortunately the great Tina Turner did pass away recently, so... We had to do it from 1985 from director George Miller, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. So what's interesting about the Mad Max series is how loosely connected they all are. Like, it's really more a connection of aesthetics and tone rather than like a specific story of this specific guy doing all these specific things. Because you really don't have to watch one to know anything about the other ones. Yeah, the there were scenes actually cut from this movie that link up to the first film. Just and you know, there's a lot of continuity issues about this movie. So it's got like this and Fury Road. There's a lot of fan speculation of what this is supposed to mean versus whether or not it's just a movie. So you know, when we talk about Mad Max, you know, we're talking you know Mel Gibson usually. You know, crazy Australian uh, desert car you know, car stuff. Uh, the first one was a notoriously low budget film made in 1978, uh, Bad Max, with Mel Gibson in one of his first roles. Famous for some pretty gnarly but awesome kind of a punk aesthetic car uh, car crashes. Uh, the second film was made in '81. That was, of course, the uh, called the Road Warrior in America, Mad Max Two in Australia, and that was a that was a pretty groundbreaking science fiction apocalypse apocalypse film. And it's like of all the films, it's the one that I think most people talk about is like, that's the best of the, of all of them. Although Fury Road has kind of quietly as, or sometimes you know, excitedly taken the title for best Mad Max movie. Thunderdome's well, the weird one where it's like, is it a good movie? Is it a bad movie? Or is it just a nerdy movie? This is that, this is that the one that's hardest to t- figure out where it fits. So, again, what I say about Mad Max movies is I can't imagine they're all in the same continuity. Like, that the Mad Max we see in the first one is the same Mad Max we see in the second or third one. You could kind of believe it maybe first to second, but first to third, you absolutely can't. Um, Simply because either writers don't have a sense of scale or I don't have a sense of scale when it comes to time frames, right? Like, That's where it gets more complicated because the first one is not a nuclear apocalypse. It's, it's basically society's breaking down. Yeah, well, the, first, had... yeah the first one's more a, a typical nineteen late seventies, early eighties. The world is grinding itself apart. Um, things are bad, but you know things are breaking down. But nothing has gone completely terrible. It's just uh, lawlessness and crime are on the rise because governments are busy with their own troubles and you know the the working man gets caught in the middle kind of adventures yeah. i mean you see this all the time um it's not really a true post-apocalyptic because the apocalypse is theoretically happening but really all you see is, is it's, it's almost just a gritty crime drama yeah it's it's more like a an, an, uh anarchy like a, kind of enveloping uh, australia yeah it's it's it, but it, i i would liken it more to like death wish yeah than uh, like even even the next movie in the series, right? Like, absolutely. It's like, he's out for. I mean, you know, the first one, his family gets murdered, uh, and he goes basically on a revenge uh, mission to but, kill but, uh, the the gang to kill his family. And yeah, but that doesn't even happen until halfway through the movie. Like the first half of the movie is him thwarting a gang, 
and basically saying, I'm too old for this shit, and then, like, needing to unwind, and then his family gets murdered, and he goes on a roaring rampage of revenge. I mean, this is Death Wish, this is Dirty Harry, yeah. this is that style, this is that style of film. But the second one is a complete, it's not a 180, but it's like a 90 degree turn. Like, it is almost the almost the defining movie of the post-apocalyptic hellscape genre. Absolutely, right? yeah, that's like, it's a definitive definitive concepts everything's like the 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 war happened this is the survivors and it's uh yeah it's been several the key is it's been many years since the uh war since the nuclear uh holocaust it would have had to have been many because like even 10 years wouldn't have been enough for things from the first movie to to transition into the second movie right like It's just such a, a it just it just couldn't happen. Like I don't care if it is out in Australia, it just doesn't happen that fast. And the same with this movie. Like even from I mean now second to three, you can kind of buy the time span. But again, you've got <laughs> and this is getting ahead of myself a whole tribe of people, specifically children, who believe this super fantastic nonsense story that's been quote unquote passed down for ages. And I mean. It's got to be at least 50 years, if not more, from if we're following the time frame of these movies from the first film. Yeah, um, I mean, I take it as – well, I take it more like a 25-year gap for, uh, for Thunderdome. Uh, as for you know, Road Warrior, I, I would like to think 10 years, maybe 15 years, you know. Everyone seems to reference what their lives were like before the Holocaust, except for like the youngest, because you know, they were born. You know, basically, they were born afterwards. Nobody all does. these kids like, in this film, kids, they have no well, reference to anything. Yeah, like the oldest kid is what 17, 15, 16, something like that. So, so she would have grown up, been born and grown up in a society that has no idea what a plane is, right? Yeah, they don't, know means, how, they don't know how it flies. And they her just, parents, they climb on it. her yeah. parents wouldn't know what a plane is, because you know, I mean, unless her parent, like, unless like every single adult died two days after this girl was born, and they all just kind of had to, you know, and, and and everyone was raised by five year olds, like twenty five years is pushing it. I'd say it's at least fifty, if not if not seventy five to one hundred. Which is why I tend to consider each of these films to kind of just be the story of a person. Like even in this one, they yeah. don't call him Max. He's just the man. He with says no name. his name once, and just in the the. In oh, Freddy, he I must have. I missed him. He said me Max because he, he, he says Max to uh, Master Blaster, uh, and that's that's about forgot. the only time. Yeah, it, it, it's recurring, but he doesn't say his name much, like in, because he doesn't want to refer to himself of who he was. He does say I was a cop. He tells Auntie, you know, he was a cop. That was like the uh, one of the few things that gets brought up. You know, but, his past but again, life was. like even thirty years down the road, first of all, he would be a lot older. Second yes. off, there is no way that the apocalypse happened less than again. I can't imagine it being less than fifty years ago. But uh, this whole barter town society thing with the pig shit generators that would have taken time to build. Yes, like it's like the whole society. Like you, you don't just. <laughs> Maybe I have less. Maybe I have more faith in humanity than perhaps is warranted. But I just cannot imagine that this incredible nonsense society 
would with adults all talking about bust the deal, face the wheel, da 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 da, and you know, all very sincere would would just be around, like you know that because <laughs> let let's look at anti entity, right? Uh, Miss the, the the late grand lady uh, Tina Turner herself who is who i actually think is great in this movie <laughs> yeah i, I would like, are she's the best one in the entire movie her, her and mel gibson i'll give mel gibson this he does a decent job it's not great but i mean it's what the character is so you really can't argue with it yeah he's um, more checked out in this film than he is in the other two he is definitely more checked out in this one than he is in the other two um but she does a great job but She's she's got to be, you know, 30, 40 years old. And it's clear that she has built this society and been running it for a while. And I don't mean like two years. I mean like 10 to 15. Right? You Possibly, think so. I'm... Even longer. Like, I mean, clearly the power dynamics. I mean, Master Blaster himself, first of all, he would have had to like, like, Blaster would have had to grow up. <laughs> like, Blaster is of a certain age where he would have had to grow up befriend master form their crazy duo you know it, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to well, me well see that that's where i'm you know there's a lot of discussion like when is this happening or is or is this even a should be a continuity film like there's an argument this film should be continuity since is that the gyrocopter or is that his like or is that just someone who looks a lot like him so the, the uh, actor was cast last minute because the other actor they had planned to have dropped out. Yeah, again, this is why uh, another good reason to. Um, I mean, this is sort of like a Doctor Who extra playing another part. Yeah, so I, I'm not. If you ask me, I, if they said, you know, I have a twin. If he, they'd said he was his twin brother, that that's believable. I could actually believe the two bro. If he, you know, he had a brother or a twin brother, and they both learned how to fly, you know, somehow, yeah. and you know, they, the, you know, they both are con artists who like to rob people, you know. Yeah. Some people say, "Is that the kid from, uh, you know, Road Warrior?" No, that's no, definitely not no. the kid from Road Warrior. Yeah, yeah, and I, this is why I tend to take the position that all three of these movies are just different stories told about a person whom the storyteller names Max, or if they name them at all. Like, I don't think he's even mentioned in the. I don't think he's mentioned in the Road Warrior, other than as the Road Warrior. Yeah, uh, um, I, I. It's the same thing. He says his name once. But it's like the whole point of the road war is mostly told from the narration of the boy uh, remembering yeah. what it was, you know, what happened before, you know, when he met Max. This yeah. is like, um, so we don't get a lot into Max's actual, like, you know, mind state. Uh, when we get to this one, is if so, we go by the narration at the end, it's the kids telling the story. Yeah, and how they light the city to, to light the way and all that. And and again, this, this gives it sort of a, a mythical overtone. Like, dare I compare this to, like, the Legends of King Arthur? Like, when you read the Legends of King Arthur, they have a lot of inconsistencies about when they take place, where they take place, who's who's in the story, who's not in the story. You know, the, the, the different tales... Um, were just sort of all over the place. Now, a lot of them were consolidated in Lamorte Arthur. And honestly, I'm not an, an Arthur scholar. We know people who are, and they could give a much more, a much better explanation. But like the King Arthur story has been told and retold a dozen times in a dozen different ways with a dozen different characters being important and different interpretations of the same thing. And that's what I like in these movies too. Now that doesn't mean these are good stories. <laughs> 
but they are they have a place in pop culture. They I mean the Road Warrior is iconic. You could not pick a movie that I think has had it's had so much influence on so many other works. Um just from an aesthetics point, from just this idea that society breaks down into these weird gangs. I mean, you know, just the the, the very sharp biker ragtag cobbled yeah, I mean, together aesthetic is there's, just such uh, there's, a... It, it's implied, you know, it's it's because of the, you know, the earth's been heated up so much from the, the fallout. That's why, you know, everybody's wearing what they can. Your regular clothes probably is not, you know, viable anymore so like we should point out tina turner's outfit entirely metal like she's wearing a 100 pound you know, form of chain mail um yeah i mean it's probably not 100 pounds it's it, no I they mean, said it, it actually weighed 115 pounds that she wore it but she could she was just that tough enough to hang around wearing it but yeah they oh, said wow. <laughs> yeah she had to uh she shaved her head also for the wig to it, shape ahead she she apparently wanted yeah. to change her look anyway, so it was an excuse for her to shave her head. And she liked the idea of wearing this funky punk uh, hairdo because yeah, you know, I think she just it was her excuse to do it. So yeah, I mean that's fair. But uh, so let's get into this movie. Uh, so this is the third outing in this franchise. Came out in 1985. Yeah, and uh, believe it or not, another one is in production. The uh, Furiosa, the prequel to Fury Road, where yeah. there will be no Max at all. It'll just be a uh, um, uh, a prequel of, of Furiosa's story. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I, I actually haven't seen Fury Road. I know, I know. Really? Yeah, I know. I keep meaning to watch it and then getting distracted. Okay, um, see, that, I, see I that, never. Like, okay, I want more of these characters. So this that's is where how, I confess uh, that I just don't care about the Mad Max movies. Like I've seen them and they're okay and they're fine, but like I'm never compelled buy them does that yeah make sense? i mean the thing is this all, all mad max movies are car porn to an extent if, if you don't like car you know, like crazy car stuff you're not going to care for these movies as much because that's like one of the big driving pushes is you get these epically crazy chase sequences yeah but they only yeah. happen at the end of the film and they're not like they're not the main thrust of the story like yeah they're cool and i enjoy them i like those but the rest of the movie often is just very plodding yeah, see, and now, boring. You, and you would just... love Fury Road because 90% of the movie is chase. Like, there is, it <laughs> starts and basically it is just one gigantic chase movie. Like, that's the whole premise of the movie. It's oh. one epic chase movie with only a couple of minor stops. Like, they just, yeah. it's, it's like the ultimate, it's like Cannibal Run on, on like, uh, meth. <laughs> on on but, chromium. Uh, this film uh, is I, yeah. So this film starts out with Max is not even in his classic car. He's in a horse drawn or like, is it oxen? A, like he's no, on a, they're camels. They're camels. Yeah, camel driven wagon, and a, a guy who looks a lot like the gyrocopter and his son a flyover in a really kind of gnarly you know plane, and they hijack him. They hijack his stuff. They hijack him and steals you. And can we comment on how? the entirety of this film turns on what that monkey throws out the back. Yep. Like everything in this movie is driven by whatever garbage the monkey just happened to toss out the back of Max's vehicle as it's being stolen, which I find incredible on a number of levels that the whole, like the whole movie hinges on this. If, if he didn't throw that stupid whistle out, um, then none of this movie would have occurred. <laughs> like yes. Max would have ended up toiling in the, in the, in the crap holes of society for a while. And you know, moved on with his life, and none of this would have happened. Um, yeah, yeah. But... So, 
yeah, so Max goes to Barter Town, which is where he was. I guess he was already headed there anyway. But you know, he finds out his gear's been sold there. He wants it back. He's not even mad at the at the high. He's not even really after the you know, the pilot. He just wants the stuff back. Yeah. And Auntie, Auntie, yeah, who's in charge of uh, Barter Town, at least she says she rules Barter Town. But uh, Master Blaster also says he runs Barter Town. So there's this power struggle between these two, and that's that's and, clearly the thrust of the story. Is Auntie Entity sees this 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 clearly skilled warrior coming into his town, who is has been who has been technically wronged by Master Blaster. Um, as an opportunity to basically extract revenge and and cement her place as the head of Barter Town, and, yeah, and, and, we, and Master Blaster is essentially this combo. It's this uh, very it's this uh, man with uh, dwarfism who's the scientist, and his he rides in the back of this giant that you can't see his face because he's wearing a, a, a steel helmet. And he you know, the idea is the you know Blaster is does is the muscle Master's the one that handles the uh, science that powers the the gas from the pigs. Yep. He's running a gas factory. Uh, a methane factory. So like, the, factory, like the, yeah. the whole conceit of the movie is that Barter Town runs on basically methane, methane. The vehicles yeah, all run on I mean, methane. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's literally a shit town. It's yeah. The, the things run on methane. The generators run on methane. Everything runs on methane. And Master is the guy who understands how it all works. And he can, as the movie puts it, he has the knowing of a lot of things. And yes. he has a real snazzy suit at the end, too. Um, surprisingly, surprisingly like, good shape. Like, why does he wear the bondage gear when he could have been wearing his awesome suit? But I guess he didn't want to get it dirty in the pig shit, so I get it. Well, the, yeah, I mean, you got that. I think it's, it's just the look. He's got, yeah, a guy like him would not survive in this kind of scenario. So that's why he's got Blaster, and he's in this, you know, he's essentially maintaining this, uh, uh, terrifying look. You know, I'm the, you know, like the the two of us work together as his team. Uh, so yeah, Auntie basically makes a deal with Max. Like, uh, you go, you, uh, you kill Blaster because he she doesn't want Master dead. She needs Blaster dead because then she can make Master do whatever she wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because Master, which is the what Master's been doing to her, every time he gets mad, he shuts the power off and make and humiliates her like he does at one point in the film. Yep, and it's it's an effective scene. Uh, yeah, it's like are you really? They're both bad. They're both kind of bad, but they both are tr- essentially trying to rule things you know, in a in a society that where they wouldn't have been in charge before. So, well, I mean, I mean, it, it's a classic power struggle. It doesn't matter what they would have done before. This is the. I mean, it's kind of like I mean, it's it's the opposite of dare I say it, Tank Girl, where yes. the opposition is a big company that's basically holding everybody down. Uh, in this case, it's two squabbling people, basically two warlords squabbling over territory. That territory happens to be a town, and they're each fighting for dominance in their own way. And, but we, but let's let's get to the titular Thunderdome because this is the this is the set piece upon which a thousand uh, movie ideas of what pit fighting is oh, were launched. Not, not just pit. I mean, we're talking pro wrestling. We're talking K US. You know, like we're talking MMA. All. T- the, you know, the the Thunderdome is essentially the genesis of pretty much all kind of like I I would argue battling. that's not true, but it certainly is in maybe movies. But like pro wrestling has existed since the fifties. This movie came out in eighty five. Yeah, uh, I, I know. I'm saying like if you've ever seen like like a cage match, this, cage this, is, this like is the, the origin war of the game cage stuff. Match. Like yeah, this yeah. Is, this is like the idea. And they've had they even at one point during the pandemic, the WWE had this thing called the Thunderdome, which was 
a gigantic dome of like video screens that uh, had everyone people could like tune in and watch so it looked like they had an audience so yeah the, yeah, the thunder- it was cool i actually really like i really like that concept honestly i thought it was pretty good yeah but thunderdome has become a shorthand for two people throwing down until the other person is destroyed whatever that means yeah. and honestly one of the things i had forgotten about thunderdome was the bouncy was the bouncy bits Yes, like the the elastic bands. I was like, oh man, that makes this such this that makes this a much better yeah. fight. And it was very, you know, all the weapons on the edge, on this, on the hung up on the things. I mean, it's just a really fun fight. It really is. It's it's iconic, and I mean, the, all the people like clambered over the thing, watching to the to the detriment of them. Like when Blaster runs that guy through with the spear, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, just all the all the yeah. stuff that happens in the yeah, in it's it's gl- it's so part good. Inter combat part. It's there. It's it's just like similar to rollerball. It's the idea is that's all they want. You know, they you know, they're most happy when they're watching Thunderdome fighting. It's it's their way. It's the mass distraction bit too. It's like everything about it is like time down to this, and it's an epic fight. You know, the, both Bat- Blaster and Max are on essentially bungee cables, and they're uh, basically bouncing around this this dome trying to grab uh weapons Weapons and like max gets the chainsaw and then it works for a minute and then it fails blaster gets that big fuck all hammer (laughs) yeah i mean Uh, yeah he gets yeah he gets the uh um the uh bat he gets you know the uh, spear i mean it's like it's all and most of these are pretty like blunt bats it's like these are all very like low budget weapons and you if you ever watch like ecw or the hardcore like matches stuff like that. There's always these kind of nods to this movie with those kind of blunt weapons. It's oh in... yeah, like I mean, this is the hardcore match before hardcore matches were even a thing. Yep. And uh, and then the the resolution is also where Max has you know has figured out that Blaster has has a weakness to high pitched noises, and so he has his bosun whistle, which he happened to collect from the monkey, <laughs> and he blows it during the match to disorient Blaster, and then bashes him in the head. Until his helmet comes off and he finds out it's basically sloth under there. Yeah, I mean that's and, the thing. It's like it, this movie came out of the same year, so you're like, who stole the idea from what? But that, yeah, essentially he's you know, mentally, you know, he's mentally challenged. He's probably yeah. got he's like Down syndrome or something like that. Like yeah, and it, and that you know like, and and Max has a moment of pity and says, I, I'm not going to kill this guy. And Blaster comes out and says, Oh, he has the mind of a child. You can't. You can't yeah, he's like him. I. I you know, like he can't do anything without me. You know, that's kind of you know the thing is like I, I you feel kind of sad. Or is essentially using him as a muscle, but at the same time, like they're kind of it's the symbiotic relationship. They can't neither of them can survive without the other. Yeah, it's, and it really dare I say it humanizes Master because Master's a bastard. Like before this, he's kind of an asshole, and he's mean to everybody, and you know he's he's always lording it over people, and you see in this a bit of humanity come out, and honestly. Um, you know, Max is like, this isn't part of the deal and reveals any entities plan. And then all sorts of shit happens and the people are upset. And the way they solve it is a, um, I think it's iron bar. It's the guy's name. Yeah. The guy with the weird mask on his back that I, that is really, who, who can't die until the very end of the movie. <laughs> well, um, it's like, yeah, he's the, uh, you get the idea also, uh, and needs him once he's dead and she's like, okay, we're done. She, she's been kind of needed He's another um, chess piece. She's moving around, you know, to consolidate her control. Yeah, and uh, so 
Max defeats Blaster, but doesn't kill him. But then Ironbar kills Blaster, and Anti basically says, it doesn't matter whether or not this deal was, was right. We had one, and he broke it, so bust the deal, face the wheel, because we can only have basic phrases, uh, <laughs> you know, for laws. And then they spin the Wheel of Fortune, and it's fucking great. Um, the guy who's the announcer guy is just having a ball, and I love oh, him. Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite performances, because this guy's like, he, he's like, this guy should have been, he like, was he an Australian game show host before the apocalypse? Because he definitely has that, that demeanor. He's got that kind of weird hunch, too. So, you know, it's like, something bad happened to him at one point, too. But he's just enjoying the theatrics of everything. Spin the wheel. Bust the deal, spin the wheel. It's such a you know crazy detail. And, you know something we should bring up. George Miller directed this, but he didn't direct. The, he was the co-director. He didn't. He uh, had a friend of his who was the producer of the other two movies dying a helicopter accident. So he didn't really feel like he wanted to direct the whole film. So he hired another director to direct the 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 non-action sequences. All the action sequences are George Miller. All the non-action sequences are directed by this other act uh, director, and it's. It's kind of weird. That's one of the other things people talk about, how there seems to be this kind of disjointedness. Like, the scenes, uh, are, the acting is all over the place, and the uh, action is all over the place, because it's essentially two people doing di- different things that aren't re- they were really collaborating. Yeah, and, and, it, and it kind of shows, like, the the non-fight stuff and the non-action sequences are, are very well done, and the, or the, the action sequences are very well done, and the non-action sequences are passable. <laughs> like they're fine they're not offensive they're not terrible but they're not particularly good and it shows and uh but the thing is is i, I don't know like the the two big action set pieces that people remember are thunderdome and the chase at the end and all the time between those two points is boring as fuck Yes, like, so, I just yeah, don't care to... about anybody like they have to explain how barter town works they have to explain the plan they have to explain this other plan they have to go through the punishment they have to do the ton of thing and it's boring and you just don't care like i don't care about any of these characters i don't even care about max like i don't care about any of these characters i am interested to see what happens but i simply do not care about any of these characters not even the kids like the kids are like hey you're all little shits who are stupid i don't care about you and i clearly am supposed to care and Max cares because he's the good guy, and honestly, he's very he's very much the reluctant hero in this, and I totally get that. He just wants his shit back. And and I feel that to the, the bottom of my soul. But at the same time, God, it's just... I know. It's, it and just takes so it, long it, to get to the fucking point. So it's his punishment, you know, the wheels spun, he gets... They, they It lands on Gulag, which essentially means they, put, they time up and force him... Uh, they put a big head on him for some reason. Yeah, yeah. It's like he can't see where he's going. They they essentially send him out to uh, uh, die in the desert. Yeah, die in the desert. But he's saved by his little monkey pal and these kids who find him um, and bring him back to their village in the trees, which is wild. Um, very. I guess they. I guess they really liked the concept of Ewoks, but they didn't want to use Ewoks. So we have these children. Um, <laughs> they, um, they think he's, he's Captain, Captain Walker, I think. Yeah. Which, which is this mythic figure in their things. who's going to, who's going to take, take them on a flying plane, a flying machine to tomorrow, Morrowland, which is 
a fucking uh, what do you call him? Uh, Viewmaster. You there? Right. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry, I lost for a second there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the skies is finally clear up, but uh, got it, yeah. Got it. So it, it's um, it, it's weird because it's like the uh, you know, got this bits. It's also got these weird in jokes. Like if you know anything about the song, uh, the album Tommy by the Who. Captain Walker was Tommy's dad, and he was a lost pilot. So I think it's supposed to be a callback to the, you know, a, a reference that, which brings up the argument: Was there ever a Captain Walker, or did one of the kids just find the out Tommy and think that's what the story was? Because it's like, I mean, the answer is who knows? Because again, you were talking about mythic stories, right? Yeah, these and- kids, like, we don't know how long all these kids have been living in this pretty decent place actually you know they've got water they're kind of in this oasis which they clearly have water and food i mean yeah it is an oasis because they, yeah, I think... and there's a lot of kids there which they no adults so the it's implied captain walker landed the plane there and left and said he'd be back for them soon and they, it's been a long time but since there's so many little kids, you know, there's a lot of like I said, questions. the time frame is fucked up because there are so many children and nobody, not even the older kids, like the 17 year olds, have any fucking clue about what a fucking plane is, right? Yeah, like they just don't understand. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So Max is like, I'm not your fucking friend. I'm just gonna go get my shit back. Thank you for your help. Uh, and they're like, and he's like, now stay away from this shitbag place because it sucks and you don't want to go there. And he's right. He's 100% correct. But some of the kids are, are dis, dis, you know, disgruntled and say, no, you, you, we're going to go and do the thing. And, and then they leave. So Max is like, fuck, I got to go rescue these stupid fucking kids. Yeah, some of the kids are like, they stay. And some of the kids are like, you know, especially the girl who found him, she's insisted that this is all supposed to happen. They're supposed to go. And, you know, Max finds him, and right a bunch of them are getting sucked into the sand, basically. They hit, like, that bad spot in the sand in the desert. They're all being, it's like giant, horrific, you know, death kind of thing. So he saves them, but it's the weather's too bad. They can't go back to the other place, so they have to go to Bartertown. And then it turns into a, they get to Bartertown, they rescue a couple of people, they rescue uh, and uh, the, the you know Max's friend he had down there, yeah, and, you know, the guy who killed a pig to feed his family or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Who and, and there's implication he might be actually from that tribe of kids because yeah. I you you, you kind of impl- that's one of the things that kind of implies there may have been adults that eventually all left to go find Captain Walker at different times or like they when they got a certain age they tried to go, they always leave and don't come back. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, yeah. and, and wasn't that the guy from um, from Guardians of the Galaxy two? Yes, he's the guy who's like uh, the the one who lives at the end, who's like friends with Yondu at the very end. Yeah, he he's one of the, uh, he's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen that guy before. Um, so the, anyway, there's this huge rescue sequence, and there's an incredible chase with a train because there's a train for some reason. Honestly, it's just because it looks cool. Like half of this movie is rule of cool. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make a ton of sense. It just looks fucking awesome. Uh, so yeah, they take a train. You know, so you have this. So which allows everybody to follow them because they're following the train track. Train track comes to the end where the captain, you know, the pilot yeah. and the kid are. So they immediately then take the plane. They get in this plane. He's like, "You're gonna fly us out here." I am. Yes, you are. Yeah. Of course, the I, kid's like, "I warned you, Dad. Warned we're all you, dead Dad. meat, Dad. We're all dead meat." So fucking good. One to dad, he, the kids are like, you show me how to fly this plane, I'm taking off. Yeah, so he fucking leaves. So anyway, but they get in the plane, and then 
the plane, like, there's not enough runway because the bad guys are driving. So Max gets in a car and drives through one guy who has who has literally survived like four different instant death things. Yeah. <laughs> and then he finally dies and flips off the entire world. And then uh, at the end of that, Max is just like, I'm on the ground dying. And Annie Entity and her goons catch up to him and is like, well, that's a thing. And then she fucking leaves. And I was like, yep, that's about how I would feel too. <laughs> yeah, she's like, okay. And, and I, if I remember, she leaves him just as some supplies. Like, didn't you can't come back to Bartertown, but I, I don't care where says, you go. She just says, ain't we a pair? And fucking leaves. Like, there's yeah. no conversation. She just fucks like, eh. She just like, fucks off. All right, he got away. I yeah. can't do anything about it, but guess what? I can, you know. I, I, I think the idea was she already figured out what she needed to do. She was probably, you know, that saves her having to worry about keeping Master around, try to, you know. It's like everything seems to, and the thing about it, the guy that gets killed is probably her biggest rival next. So she's ba- he's basically succeeded in helping Auntie consolidate everything she needed. So. Yeah, this, this was Auntie. Well, she did lose Master. She can probably figure out Barter Town. She can probably figure out how to do it too. I mean, she's it's probably, not. Yeah, I mean, the time Max has been gone, she's probably been making Master show her what to do, or show her at least some people what to do. So it's it's like everything's worked perfectly for her. Like this movie is really her successful story. It's weird too because this film was not written as a bad Max movie. It was George Miller started us out as a Lord of the Flies in the Apocalypse. Yeah, which which makes the second half of the movie sound make a lot more sense. Yeah, which, that was, it was supposed to be, yeah, and this, that is this one random person comes in and they think he's their god kind of thing. It's like, essentially want to take a, 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 a take on the man who would be king. Yeah. And it, you know, it's like, that's how this story started out with, and eventually he turned it into Mad Max, partially wanting to get more money by saying it's Mad Max. So. Which I can't understand. But so, so that's the story, and... um. I don't know, man. I find this movie doesn't hold up super well. Like, the, the thing about it is, because it's a post-apocalyptic movie, right? It is somewhat timeless, but it's also very rooted in the fears of the 80s, right? Fear of nuclear war. Fear of running out of gas. You know, we had just come off the 70s oil embargo and how shitty that was. In fact, the whole idea of the, the Master Blaster causing an embargo on Barter Town. I mean, that's ripped from the headlines, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's it's OPEC. It's yeah, you know, it's very keyed into specific fears of the early eighties and the late seventies. You know. Yeah, and but it's it's still but it also has that sort of timeless classic classic mentality because it is post apocalyptic. Yeah. And it's a weird fr- and then you know, this was also during the Australian craze. Yeah, this swept, is, they call it you know, the Oz they call it Ozportation, which is like said black exploitation is Ozportation, which yeah, well, I don't get it, but like Australia, for whatever reason, was like big in American culture for a while, and this was just part of it, along with like Crocodile Dundee and a few other things. Um, it was a really weird time in America, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I don't. Again, uh, this movie intri- This movie is one of the things that I refer to as mostly style, very little substance. Oh, absolutely. Um, the thing about it is like. The story's kind of boring. It's had a lot of weird conventions that don't really fit into the other two Mad Max films. Yeah, it doesn't quite match the aesthetic of the Road Warrior, although it ape, it, ape, it basically it apes the Road Warrior without quite getting the Road Warrior, if that makes sense. Yeah, it has the same Which, kind of the idea. 
Max helps the 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 good the good ones escape, and he's left alone again. And that's yeah. the, that's the the idea of every film is Max is always it winds up alone. Yeah, and like it's just it's almost like it's a sec. It's like a it's like a a different version of the Road Warrior. Yeah, um, that, that's like, sort of the way I take it. Like I said, it wasn't written and it wasn't developed initially as a Mad Max film. It, you know, the and the thing about it, it's essentially two movies. If you cut the kids out, you don't, I mean, that's you don't even have to have the kids in this movie. That whole plot line doesn't matter at all. The whole, I mean, they are literally just a uh, reason for Matt, some of the reason Matt goes back there, but you could cut them out completely and you don't need them in the film. I mean, you could end the film with him getting the water from the monkey after he gets out of Gulag, and that could be the end of the movie and it'd be a fine movie. I mean, it wouldn't be good. But it would still be a complete story if that. Yeah, and the thing is, you Um, could have him go back literally just for like save that buddy of his. He doesn't have to go back to. Yeah, he doesn't have to have those kids with him. It's it's a. It's like they were trying to develop it in this idea of these kids of the apocalypse story. Like they gotta force it, but. And I guess that's the the biggest problem. I, I and I will say I think some of the kids are. Yeah, they're kid actors, so some of them are very, almost too cute. So they're it's very kid actors. Yeah, very kid actors. You know, they're, mean, their little, they're chanting. It's very. It, it it feels like okay. We had to overdub this again, and we we still the you know we're trying too hard to ape something out of you know uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, it it just I I don't think the film works all that well on any level other than an aesthetic one. The aesthetics are great. I love. I love the grungy look of Bartertown. I love the little sign that rotates above Thunderdome that lights up live. That that tickled me. I love Thunderdome itself. I love the whole aesthetic of it. I love the way – I love all the costuming. I love how grungy and dirty everything is. And then I love how clean – like how clean are those children? They're very clean. Uh, yeah, th- th- that's the other part. It's this weird detail. Like how in this whole hellscape is this oasis – of these kids living there, why would the kids want to leave? Also, why had no one else found it? Right. That, yeah, and that's that's the other thing that's kind of strange. But like, like, did you notice that Auntie Entity is the only clean person? Her and the collector. Yep. They're the only clean people in Barter Town. Um, I suppose you could argue that that Bla- that Master was as well, but he's actually kind of grungy until until the end when he puts on his spiffy little suit. Yeah, because um, I mean he's I mean he's grungy because he's always down with the pigs. Yeah, he's down so. with the pigs, so he has to deal with it. I mean it's fine. I, I, but like, there's a uh, yeah. Andy there, doesn't ever stand. She knows she's almost always hovering above everything. Like she refuses to stand up on the ground. Yeah, and I, I again I think Tina Turner's performance is good. You believe her power struggle. You believe that she's a strong lady who's bullying everybody else into being her 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 lackeys and. You know that blast that Master Blaster was the first real challenge to her authority, and she doesn't like it. Yeah, um, and the thing is, she apparently was running things okay until Master basically tried to, you know, you know, got the power going, and yeah, essentially well, he, he got the power going, and then he started getting uppity. I mean, you know, getting, yeah, instead of working with her, he wanted he, he got wanted to be the one in charge. He got greedy. I mean, and yeah, again, again, nobody in this, the li- most likable person in this movie is Mad Max. Yeah, and. Honestly, I don't give a shit about Mad Max. I don't give a shit about any of yeah. these characters. I don't care if they live. I don't care if they die. It is a neat story to watch, but I simply do not give a shit 
and it's fine. Like it's fine movie. Was it? Was I entertained a little? I like the aesthetics. I like the car chase scene. Yeah. Um, but and and like I said, I think we both agree this movie is not a good movie. Or I I hate to, I don't want to call it bad either because there's parts of the movie that's fantastic. So I think we can both agree this is more of the nerdiness for the the weirdness of this legacy of this film. I, I would agree. I think this is definitely a nerdy film. I mean, I, I can't say it's bad because it's it's re- relatively technically competent. It has some really good action sequences. It really nails the aesthetic. And the acting is, you know, ranges from passable to pretty decent. But the story just doesn't grip me. It's not very good. So it's like, it's a very meh movie. But it had such a huge impact on, I mean, it and its its previous films have had such a huge pop culture impact that I cannot and there's so many little details you can find in it yeah and I think it that and people argue about the continuity of this movie I'm like you don't need to think this hard about it but people love it and yeah I I mean it and and like I said you want to get to Fury Road that is since it's a new actor playing Max there's like is that really Max or is that like the the kid from Road Warrior growing up saying he's max and the answer is shut up and watch the movie it doesn't matter it doesn't matter see that's the thing i i always find fascinating when it comes to the mad max stuff like none of this really matters because they didn't try to just they didn't really try to make it like directs clarify clarify anything they really kind of just didn't care it's right and and i liken it to reading legendary stories like there are 13 you know how many retellings of aladdin are we gonna have Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many retellings of Robin Hood are we going to have? How many retellings of yeah. King Arthur are we going to have? The answer is innumerable. And this one is the, the continuing adventures of the mysterious unnamed uh, warrior who, who reluctantly comes out of the shadows to help people in their hour of direst need. Yeah. You know? is, is, he Matt, is he the mysterious Mad Max, Rock and Tosky? Or is he just uh, a guy who uh, people think might be Max? It's like, or, or is he just a random schmo that people that that happened to do a good thing, and now people attribute that to this Mad Max legend? You know? Yeah. So. And, and I and I think that's the key. So uh, you know, as we kind of cut the answer around this film, you know, it should be. I, I think just for as an '80s artifact too, it's a very it's a very '80s movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got all those kind of wacky 80 you know i almost include this in our 80s action film series too because it's one of the ones where it sort of fits into quite a few little pegs but it doesn't belong to a lot of these pegs either so it's um it's it's a it's a unusual film like i said the fact that we could talk this much about a movie that you know we both agree is not great but also at least fun to talk about and legacies all over the map for what is you know what it inspired i mean yeah, we haven't even brought up the fact that, you know, uh, Tupac and Dr. Dre's California Love is basically a, a tribute to this movie. There's a lot of tributes to this movie. And honestly, I mean, I, I can't deny that there is a certain aesthetic appeal. Like, I just really like Thunderdome. I just really like the, the different vehicles. I like all the chase scenes. I think those are great. I really love Auntie Entity just as a character. Like she's yes. my favorite character in this, even if she's not the best character. She's my favorite character just because she's, she's the-, the only one with the brain. I, I mean, Max uses his brain a little bit, but she's really the smartest character in the entire movie. Well, she she's the uh, a Machiavellian schemer, and like basically yes. everything comes up roses for her in the end. But it's also very it's left ambiguous, so you can kind of. I mean, that's only that's only one interpretation. Like there are uh, plenty of other interpretations too. 
Uh, so I think that that's very interesting. Again, that's why this makes this a nerdy movie. You can keep talking about it forever because things are so vague and things are so bland. You almost have to paint your own story on top of it. <laughs> and on top of it, there is stuff that is so specifically fascinating you can talk about. And I, but so yeah, I think that's what we should kind of hit it for there. Uh, so folks, you've been listening to the Good, the Bad, and Nerdy Movie podcast. Uh, if you lo- have any comments about Thunderdome, please hit us up on our Facebook page, Fans Good Bad Nerdy Movie Pod, or on uh, Good Bad Nerdy Movie Pod. Uh, Will, thanks for doing this. Uh, got any final thoughts? Two host center, one host leave. Two host center, one host leave. <laughs> Bust a deal, spin the wheel. Bust a deal, spin the wheel. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, just for the fact that this inspired some WCW uh, Halloween Havoc matches. <laughs> this was a special. And we have to, you know, once again, give a special tribute, of course, to the late, great Tina Turner. Uh, yeah, thank yeah. you all for uh, listening. And please, please, please. Don't you know? You know, if you cut a guy's hair, that doesn't mean he's a pilot. It just means he's just a guy who didn't get a who won.